This is our last sermon in the Ten Commandments uh, before we proceed to, well, Advent, uh, Advent series. And then, of course, we'll be right back at Exodus in the new year for the next half of it. Um, we are at chapter 20. But if you have a Bible with you, we're gonna, our main text is going to be Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. But as has been the case with all of the Ten Commandments, uh, we, we're going to flip a decent bit. So uh, seeing the screen might be advantageous for you if you want to uh, follow along with the text. Um, also, I, I always like to say before starting on uh, a sermon from the Ten Commandments, because some of you guys uh, were, were reared in church contexts context that hit you with the Ten Commandments. Right, like, hey, do the ten, perform the Ten Commandments well enough so that you qualify for eternal life, right? And some of you guys have shared with me that that was the teaching you got. That's very unbiblical, okay? That's not what the Ten Commandments were meant to be. Uh, of course, we, when we look at the Ten Commandments, we see it's as God is entering into relationship with his people, right? The relationship comes first, and then... The, the way in which they're to walk comes after. The Ten Commandments are not ten things that qualify us for eternal life, nor are they ten things that we do well enough so that God favors us and makes our life go well. That's not what they are. What the Ten Commandments are is God's direction for how to do a good job at being a human being. Okay? None of us want to do a bad job. We want to live lives of love. This is God guiding us in paths of love. And our, our text today, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, is, is no exception. It's the last of them. Let, let's read it together real quick. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Please pray with me. God, I, I pray for grace as we open your word that your law would have the intended effect of calling us to live lives of love, that you would help us to clearly discern that path and how to walk it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we kind of can talk about what this commandment means, we have to talk about a single word because we don't know what it means, and that's covet. Covet is different from desire or want, okay? To, to, to the best way I can explain covet is with an extended story. So, all right, so I used to be in a touring band and you'd look at your schedule and I always got excited when I would see this one venue that was like this, this, this hockey arena in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I humble bragged. We played hockey arenas. The reason was is because from the entrance of this hockey arena, yes, a hockey arena, <laughs> I could look out across a really ginormous parking lot and I could see the Hershey Chocolate Factory. <laughs> and a lot of you guys don't know this, but when you, when you tour as a band, most of it's boredom. Most of it's just filling the hours with building model rockets or slapping each other, anything you could do to pass the time. And so when you had a day where you could just walk over to the Hershey factory, that was a great day because I am a chocolate. What's a person who has a problem? I have a, I'm an addict. I'm a high-level addict. Like, I'm, I'm bad with chocolate. Like... Like my kids will tell you, that you can't have chocolate in the house, I will find it, I will eat it. 
I have gotten chocolate for my pregnant wife and eaten it on the way home. <laughs> I have gotten chocolate and eaten it for people that were in the hospital. <laughs> That's true. So anyway, I love chocolate and going to the Hershey Chocolate Factory, I don't know. It's, it's a problem, really, is what it is. I have a problem and this is like the culmination of all my issues. Anyway, so when you go, has anyone ever been to the Hershey Factory? Yes, right? So you go in and there's like this, this tour you take. It's a people mover kind of thing where you just sit, right? Which is our favorite thing to do as Americans. You sit while a car moves. You don't even have to walk through it. It just takes you through the factory. And um, I'm pretty sure they pump in the smells. I don't think that these are naturally happening, but who cares? So they start you from like people picking beans, right? Like footage of it, people aren't actually picking beans. And then they show you the process, right? You're going through the next room and they're like breaking the beans apart through this complicated thing. And it's, you're like, oh, that's interesting. But then you get to the next room and they're starting to like roast it and, and turn it into the liqueur. So it's starting to smell a little chocolatey, you know? You're like, oh, that's smelling good. And then they get to the next, they, you, you go through a room, this is not footage, understand, like you're going and seeing this, there's these ginormous vats uh, with these huge, you know, industrial stirring things with huge vats of chocolate liqueur, it's really starting to smell like chocolate now, I'm getting excited. Um, and then, you know, they're showing like the process by which they smooth it out and all that and smelling more and more chocolatey. And by the time they have taken you to the room where the, these giant machines are actually squirting out Hershey's kisses and wrapping them up, you're like, oh my gosh, there's several things I would do for a chocolate bar right now. And, and by the time they're, you're getting to the end of the ride, you'll, there's there's only about two or three things you won't do to get a chocolate bar. And what do they do? They drop you off right next to a concession stand. Yeah. And what do they sell at that concession stand? Nothing but chocolate. You got it. They have these things. I don't even think they're shakes. It's just a large plastic cup filled with chocolate that you sip through a straw. Okay? And, and when you see that, like... You're not even thinking about the price. You're not like, well, how much is this? You're like, give me chocolate now. It doesn't matter if there were several tigers guarding this concession stand. I will bite the tigers to get, right? That's covetousness. My desire is so aroused to the point where it's going to move me to action. It's not just like, be nice to have chocolate. It's like, I'm getting chocolate if I have to bite the face off of a Siberian tiger, okay? That is covetousness when desire is moving us to action, okay? Now, certain desires are, have, have very specific objects that satisfy them. We'll talk more about this. Water, right, you're thirsty, that's desire for water. But you know, the funny thing about desire is sometimes we're moved by desire that has a very mysterious object to fulfill it. I'm not sure what desire one sleeve of Chips Ahoy cookies satisfies, but it's not food, right? Like, I'm hungry, I need to survive. Give me a sleeve of chocolate chip cookies. You know what I mean? And some of you guys are already feeling guilty, like, oh, I do that. Now, there's nothing wrong with desire in and of itself. You'll notice that, that the 10th the commandment does not 
say desire is bad. It's talking about the direction of desire. What is your desire pointing at? What are the claws of your heart reaching out for? Because behind every desire, unless it's a very simple one for food or for water, is a core desire, a desire for fulfillment, a desire for meaning, right? And when that feeling of needing something, that desire points itself at things that can't satisfy it, right? This is where we get eating disorders, obsessions. This is where we get addictions, destroyed families, crime. If you think about it, when I think about it, some of the worst things I've done in my life came from, a, from attempting to fill a strong desire that I was unable to fill. It's not desire in and of itself. It's the direction. It's been said that of the Ten Commandments, you cannot break commandments two through ten if you don't first break commandment one, you shall have no other gods. Well, in the same way, you can't break commandments one through nine if you're not breaking ten. If you think through the rest of the commandments, they are a matter of misdirected desire. So what does the Tenth Commandment actually forbid? We're going to use our old friend, the dartboard. Um, we remember the dartboard. We love the dartboard. Okay. So uh, coveting something that doesn't belong to you is breaking. That's the wall. That's so far away from the heart of the wall, which is love, that that's in breach. And then we're going to talk about what does it mean to keep it, right? This is the faithful zone in here. And then what does it mean to fulfill it in love? What does it mean to hit the bullseye? So let's talk about the wall first. The wall, the breach of the 10th commandment is, is to desire what we shouldn't. What shouldn't we desire? Well, it's to desire something that belongs to someone else. Uh, Exodus 20, 17, which we just read, you notice it doesn't just say don't covet. It says don't covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, servant, on and on. Right? It's not don't covet. It's don't covet what doesn't belong to you, what belongs to someone else. Okay? And then to covet, to, to desire something we shouldn't is something that we would, we would do something unethical for. Right? Like you know you're desiring something you shouldn't when it's leading you towards immoral or unethical behavior. Romans 13, 9 and 10 says this, for the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So when we are not acting in love, when we're willing to harm someone, we are in breach. Making sense? And then also, and this is key, to desire what we shouldn't is, is to desire something that we're using as a God replacement. Colossians 3.5 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry is when you worship a God that isn't God. And it's saying that covetousness, right, to desire something that we shouldn't, is to have a functional God. And when we open the pages of human history, 
There's limitless examples. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the previews uh, for this, this new movie that, uh, that was, was a book first, uh, the, the Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, anyway, Scorsese made it, right? And it's, it's the true story of the Osage uh, and what happened to the Osage people, uh, who was an uh, American Indian tribe in the 1920s. Now, they, the Osage, like all American Indian tribes, were kicked off their land and they were relocated to a desolate part of Oklahoma. And it turned out that this desolate part of Oklahoma had some of the wealthiest oil reserves under it in the entire continent. And so people paying them for the right to drill oil made the Osage per capita the wealthiest people group in the world. We're talking about they were building mansions, chauffeured cars. I got a picture for you here. Ballin', that's what, that's what it is, okay? Right, like they had more money per capita than anyone else in the world. And some odd things started happening. Uh, the main character in the, the movie and also in, in the, the book, which I haven't seen in the movie, but you know, uh, is Molly Burkhart. And, it, and she was one of the real leaders of the, of the Osage tribe. And her sister's house gets bombed. And one of her family members turns up dead. And there is a nefarious something going on uh, you know, targeted against the Osage. And there was an oil man, actually, who, who had friendly relation, a white oil man who had friendly relationship with the, the Osage, and he's like, what's going on here? I gotta get law on this. And so he didn't trust local law enforcement, so he actually got on a train to go to D.C. and plead the case and say, hey, send someone to investigate. Someone's, someone's harming, killing, terrorizing the Osage. They found his body next to the train tracks. Someone had shot him and kicked throwing him off the train. So there was a genuine conspiracy going on. And I'm not ruining the movie for you. This is in the previews, so I made sure. <laughs> Molly Burkhart's husband, who was a white guy, and several of the other white men who had married Osage women, had only married them as part of a conspiracy to lay their hands on the wealth of the Osage. Can you think of how low debt, like harming someone is bad enough, marrying them, having children with them? I mean, this, this ticks all the boxes. Coveting something that belongs to someone else, willing to do any amount of harm for it, and it is absolutely a functional God, something that they would do anything to get the wealth of the Osage. Now, hopefully, none of us have engage in a conspiracy to uh, marry and then I hope, right? What if that was the case? Like, I just wanted your bank code. Um, it happens, right? But we've all, we've all desired what we shouldn't. We've all had We've all desired something that belongs to someone else. And when I'm saying desiring something that belongs to someone else, I don't mean like, oh, those are cool Adidas. I should get those Adidas. That's not, that, right, that's not the only pair of Adidas in the world. It's something that, that properly belongs to someone else. Their spouse, their life, their wealth, their looks, their body, right? It's, it's like nothing 
Nothing will ruin your life faster than comparing it unfavorably to what someone else has. That is desiring what we shouldn't, something that belongs to someone else. And social media makes billions off of that, showing you someone else's life that looks so much better in the highlights. And people sit there doom scrolling for hours and hours, and I do it, and you do it. You say, oh, that looks so great. I wish that was me in that picture. Nothing is going to ruin your life faster than comparing it unfavorably to someone else's and looking around at all that God has blessed you with, your looks, your body, your relationships, your spouse, right, your gifts, and saying, this is worthless. I want what that person has. Now, we also might recognize that, like, this is, this is a huge part of how our economy functions, <laughs> you know? Like, like you know, Alfred Sloan, the guy who, who founded Chevrolet, it was Chevrolet, right? Anyone check me on that? Chrysler, Chevrolet, same difference. He, he came up with the idea of planned obsolescence, right? How do you get someone to buy a car every year? Well, you just make a couple tweaks to, to last year's model so that people think what they have is obsolete, and, and we're all walking around saying, what I have, what I am isn't good enough. So buy my, you know, body transformation plan or what have you, all preying on this deep need inside of us to be fulfilled. Now, what does it mean to be on the board? If that's the wall, to desire what we shouldn't, what, is it, what does it mean to be on the board? Well, it's to retrain our desire. How do we move away? Because we all recognize. And by the way, if you're like, oh, I've done shady things to fulfill desire, or, oh, I'm guilty of this, again, there is pardon and healing in Christ for you. This is not a condemnation, but a call away from paths of death to paths of life, to paths of love. Um, so what is it to be on the board is to retrain desire, to first of all, abstain from desiring what we shouldn't. First Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And it's not only abstaining, but also to choose contentment. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So it turns out Philippians 4.13 has nothing to do with hitting a home run, okay? What Paul is, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like athletes put on their sneakers, Philippians 4.13, so I can go win the game and throw for 1,000 yards, or it's a set of 10, I can do all things. It's not what the verse is about. What he's talking about, what, you can still use it, you know, if you guys have gear. It's like your workout shirt's like Philippians 4.13, and you know, <laughs> or whatever, that's fine. You can still use it for that. Just know what Paul was actually talking about 
was that whether he has more than enough or not, what, what would be considered not enough, he knows how to be content because Christ gives him the strength to be content with what he does have, even if that's less than enough. Okay, so, so getting on the board is to retrain desire, to abstain from desiring what we shouldn't, and to, to choose contentment instead. This is, this is a spiritual exercise. Now, uh, it, it's not easy to do. You know, when you, have, when you have a trained desire, you know what you call that? A habit. I'm going to tell on myself now. I used to have a trained desire for cigarettes, okay, before I was married. And I was really depressed in my 20s, and I read Russian novels. <laughs> and my desire was trained. I opened open some Nabokov, unlike smokes, right? I, a cup of coffee, smokes. My desire, any of you who, have, who do or have smoked, you know your, your desire just gets trained for it. You're reaching for your smokes in all sorts of situations. And so I get married, right? And before, before the wedding night, Sharon's like, hey, I want you to quit smoking because I don't want you to die and that sort of thing. And... And so, like, the, the day I quit was my wedding day. And, you know, before we went on our honeymoon, Sharon and I were just kind of, like, setting up house together for the first week. And it, it was going great. And I wasn't smoking. She was very supportive. But I had this weird thing. I don't know what TMJ feels like, but it felt like my jaw was dislocated, like I couldn't open my jaw, right? And I didn't know why. I didn't know what was going on. And so then, about five days into this, I had a dream, and I still remember the dream. It was one of those. I, I dreamt that I was sitting in my living, or, or now our living room, uh, just sitting on the hardwood floor, leaning against my couch. And on the other side of the room was a shoebox, which I never actually had a shoebox there, but it was there now. And I knew that inside that shoebox was a pack of smokes. And in my dream, I was like, not doing it. I don't know how a pack of smokes got into my house. I got rid of them all. But I am not going to go over to that shoebox. And I, and I stayed pat in my dream. I was like, I'm cool. I'm not going to go smoke. In my dream, the shoebox starts shaking. <laughs> I was like, what's going on here? And then I was like, I'm still not going to do it. I don't care if you shake. <laughs> you know? I, in, in the dream, two things happened at once. One is the shoebox started to violently shake and start moving across the room towards me. And in the dream, I went into a full-on spasm, including like my jaw going into a seizure. And I woke up, and then I was fine. And my jaw didn't hurt anymore. I'm sure that all kind, there's all kinds of weird psychoanalysis that, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm unhealthy in a lot of ways or something. But that desire, that trained desire doesn't go easy. You know, to, to break a trained desire and develop, to, to, to develop contentment instead is a spiritual exercise which requires all of our strength. When you feel that hook inside your chest of like, man... That was a hard day. I'm going to buy $300 worth of stuff on Amazon I can't afford. Right? Do you need, is there a, a legitimate desire for $300 worth of stuff on Amazon you can't afford? No. You are trying to just feel better. Right? There's a desire in you for comfort, for fulfillment, for, for security or something, and you're getting it through something that can't, hope, can't possibly do that. To recognize when you're in that place. And maybe it's not retail therapy for you. Maybe it's opening a fifth of something. 
and maybe not putting the cap back on or a pint of ice cream or whatever, right? It's to say, I recognize what this is. This is my heart reaching out for security, fulfillment, uh, and, and on all sorts of things which I can't figure out a way to get, so I'm going to throw some whatever. I'm going to throw pleasure in it. I'm going to throw some three hours of doom scrolling in it or, or, or what have you to recognize that that's happening and say, I'm, I'm going to choose not to try and fulfill my desire through these things. Instead, I'm going to choose to be content where I am. To say, my body is the right body for me. It's the one God gave me. If I'm healthy, I should be content with that. I don't need the abs that that person has, who has airbrushed them. <laughs> my house is a roof over my head. I don't need to go and look at all these other houses and say, my life isn't good enough until I get one of those. Recognize what that is. It's not a house that you're desiring. It's security. It's significance. It's fulfillment, right? Now, I want to make something clear. This is the first step of faithfulness with covetousness, is to abstain and choose contentment instead. But that desire is actually made for something. And this is where we get to hitting the bullseye. What does it mean to fulfill it? I need you to go just, if you've been kind of getting drowsy on me, tune back in. Okay? Just complete this for me. Hunger is a desire for food. There we go. Thirst is a desire for water. Loneliness is a desire for companionship or company. Now, all three of those desires, there is something to fulfill them, correct? Would it be weird to think of a world in which there was such a thing as thirst, but not such a thing as water? You following me? For there to exist the desire for it, there must exist the object that fulfills that desire. We, we, we together? And by the way, I'm directly stealing this from C.S. Lewis. This is not my own. Okay. What about desire for ultimate meaning, purpose, and fulfillment? We all got that. This is the big one. This is the one we're trying to throw all kinds of digital binges, food, sex, whatever into it, and it never works. And many thinkers today tell us that this desire for ultimate fulfillment, for meaning, for purpose, for not being alone in the universe is nonsense. That's weird. Why do we have the desire? That's like saying, yeah, you're thirsty, but there's no such thing as water, right? Instead, the fulfillment of this desire, not, not the desire for food, but the desire for something bigger, something beyond ourselves, the desire for transcendence, for fulfillment, it too has an object. To quote C.S. Lewis, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, to fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The fulfillment of, of that desire is to covet 
God. The bullseye of the 10th commandment is to take that desire for significance, for meaning, and for ultimate fulfillment, not just the fulfillment of like thirst for water, and direct it at its proper object, our creator himself. When we look at the Psalms, right, we, we, see, we see the psalmist desiring to know God. Uh, Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when shall I come and appear before God? For some of us, that sounds alien. It's like, oh, I don't want to know God that bad. Right? Like, how do you get to that point? It's also to delight in God. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, some people misread that verse to mean that as long as I'm giving God what, you know, what makes him happy, I'm going to get the Cadillac career person, whatever. That's not, look at it again. It's saying that if God is the delight of your heart, then you get what you want. Our problem is that God is the only one who can fulfill our deepest longings, and we are pointing those desires and longings at things that can't hope to fill them. Some, sometimes they're good things. Often they're good things. Career's a good thing. It cannot do for you what only God can. A spouse is a good thing. If you ask your spouse to be God for you, boy, are they going to disappoint you. If you ask your kids to be God for you, boy, is that going to disappoint you. If you ask a friend to do that. So coveting God is, is, is knowing God. It's delighting in God. It's also following him. The, the way that we live our lives is crucial. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You hear that language of desire for what? For righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, am I saying that if you haven't eaten in 14 hours and you ran a 5K and you're really hungry and you're like, man, I want some tacos, like I'm, like sometimes you don't really want tacos. What you need is the Lord. Go have a quiet time. Right? No, there are desires proper to hunger, thirst, right? And, and, you know, God would be like, yeah, go eat, have some water, whatever. But we, we need to learn the difference between, hey, I'm actually hungry or I'm, or I'm only eating right now because I'm lonely. That's a big, big matter of discernment. How do we do this? How do we begin to covet God? Because truth be told, in our, our culture of excess and tons of stuff that can distract us from our need, you know, that's available online at all times. You know what I'm talking about? Like you can numb and distract yourself away from God. How do we do this? Well, to begin with is to, to start a relationship with God, to accept the offer uh, of Jesus. It's to open God's word. It's also, and, and this is really key. Emily talked about this earlier. It's... It's not that we are going to get closer and closer to God the more we're alone with God. Don't hear me say being alone and like praying by yourself isn't important. It is very important. 
But one of the real keys is that we have a family relationship to God. It is personal. There is one-on-one aspect to it, just like any family has one-on-one relationships, but it's also, it's also a family relationship. It's everybody together, right? That if you take someone out of a family, those relationships are incomplete, correct? In the same way, if we want to grow closer and closer to God, where we begin to experience the fulfillment that comes only from Christ, one of the places that we need to get ever more tied into is our worshiping community. To go deeper and deeper past the surface to where we are functioning as the body of Christ together. The truth is, the reason that our desire is is not gonna be fulfilled by anything but God, it's because that's what we're designed to do. We are designed to desire God. If you ever see something, if you ever seen design meet its purpose, it's an amazing thing. Some of you guys have met my new dog, Winnie, and some of you guys have been around long enough to who have met my old dog, Harriet. Any Harriet fans in here? Yeah, some of you guys met Harriet. Harriet was a Labrador. She lived till she was 14. She was great. Now, for those of you who don't know, a Labrador is designed to be a water retriever. They like to go in the water and get things. Harriet did not know this about herself. <laughs> okay? But if you, if you look at a Labrador, if you, you pull their toes apart, they have webbing in there. And their, their tail, the reason it hurts your shins so much <laughs> is because it's, it's strong enough to act as a paddle Right? Even the shape of their chest is, is for buoyancy. Everything about this dog is, is made to go in the water and get something and bring it back. Typically ducks. I didn't have any ducks on hand. So one day, I, I remember when she was still a puppy, I took her out to a lake. And she was a very neurotic and nervous dog. You know, afraid of brooms, kitchen floors, <laughs> gates loud noises, quiet noises, almost anything. So I was like, this could be tough to get her in the water. Because if, you know, you just throw her in, like that's not gonna be a good experience. So the one she, she really loved chasing the ball though. And so I like threw the ball and it just near the water. And I could see her see the water and she ran for the ball and then she kind of hit the brakes like, you know, and slowed down. It was still a couple feet from the water. I was like, okay. And so I kept on getting her closer and closer because she couldn't resist chasing the ball. And then the first time it lands in the water, she reaches over, you know, and, and brings the ball back. But then a little further and it's up to her. They don't have ankles, do they? What do you? We'll call them ankles, all right? They're ankles. Up to her ankles and up to her elbows. And then there was one throw where it was just beyond where she could touch. And I remember this so clearly because I saw her like, like she runs after it and she starts, you know, barreling through and then she loses contact with the, the floor of the, the lake and she panics. I see the panic, like she starts flailing, but as she flails, like her, her paws just do this and like, this is all a split second. And, and, and before 
the split second is up, she's not flailing. She has figured out, oh, I, I do this, right? And she's swimming. And she goes and gets the ball. And, and when that dog came back in, she, you know how dogs get, you all know how dogs get excited. This is not something I have to explain. She was beyond excited and like drops the ball and starts like flipping out, right? She had found her special purpose to quote Steve Martin and the jerk, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and I couldn't, like, I had to make her stop. I started just throwing the ball as far as I could, and she was going further and further, right? Like, her design met its object, what she was made to do. We are made to desire God. When we try and fulfill something God-sized with something that is only earthly, even if it's a good earthly thing, the result is going to be disappointment time and time again. We are made to desire God, covet God. Please pray with me. God, may our restless hearts find rest in you. May our covetous hearts covet their proper object, our creator. I pray that in this week, that as a church, that as a people, we would desire to go deeper with you, that we would not fall prey to the misdirected desire that leads us down so many paths of disappointment and self-destruction. Instead, Lord, be the fulfillment of our desires this week. Show us the way. Grow us to be more like Jesus. Amen.